0: thousands upon thousands of irritating buffoons with nothing better to do took to the streets over the weekend to march for science. Many of these pro-science marchers are people who believe that if a man puts on a dress and gets breast implants, he magically becomes a woman, and that it's perfectly fine to kill an unborn baby until a blue fairy sprinkles it with sparkly light and turns it into a real boy. Maybe that's Pinocchio. It's all very confusing. So if the people marching for science are so incredibly irrational and idiotic and unattractive and loud and irrational, and unattractive, then what is this science they're marching for, and why are they all so stupid? I think I can explain. You see, these people aren't marching for science, they're marching for science. Science is a technique for understanding the material world through observation and experiment, like when you mix baking soda and vinegar in a test tube and then put a cork in the test tube and the mixture bubbles up and forces the cork to shoot across the room and hit your little sister in the forehead. That's real science and not only can it be useful for making electric skateboards and curing cancer, but it's also absolutely hilarious when your little sister goes staggering backwards and falls into the laundry hamper, especially if you can get out of the house before your mom smacks you cross-eyed, as you obviously deserve. But the science, the March for Science marchers are marching for is not that science, but Science. Science is a leftist word meaning a combination of unreliable computer models and meaningless consensus used to create panic in order to shut down debate and promote socialist programs that will give more power and money to the people who use the word science to mean something other than science. For example, our best unreliable and continually mistaken computer models show that if we don't cut back at all on greenhouse gas emissions, higher temperatures could cause sea levels to rise about two feet over the course of the next century. This means that Al Gore would have to spend the next nine decades moving his beach towel back from the shore at a rate of approximately 2.6 inches a year. Also, he should put on a shirt because, let's face it, the guy is blown up like a balloon. According to many science marchers, we must avert this computer model inconvenience to Al Gore by immediately raising unemployment, destroying the economy, and putting an end to fracking, which creates cleaner energy with little harm to the earth. Now, you may say, wait... That's the stupidest thing I ever heard, but that makes you a science denier, a phrase meant to remind people of those who deny the Holocaust, which is exactly like the climate catastrophe except for existing in reality. So that's why we here at The Andrew Clavin Show support the March for Science. It's a harmless activity for mentally deficient leftists that will keep them out of their homes where they might do something dangerous, like having sex and reproducing. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo, birds are winging, also singing, hunky dunky ship-shaped, dipsy topsy the world is a zing it's a wonderful day, hooray, hooray, want to sing, oh, hooray, hooray, oh, hooray, hooray, oh, hooray, hooray. Well, I just barely survived the Cynthia Angulo Memorial Challenge. The Cynthia Angulo Memorial Challenge <laughs> is where the lady who does our illustrations for the opening, she just tries to crack me up. And it's a memorial challenge because if she does it, I'm going to kill her. <laughs> 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 All right. So this week, the Clavenless weekend at last is over long last is over. But this week is a little bit different because I'm traveling to Oberlin College tomorrow to give a speech on fake news. And so there won't be a show tomorrow, but there will be a show Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. So we'll have a full week. But this means that you have to get in your mailbag questions. I won't be here to remind you to get in your mailbag questions uh, tomorrow. So you got to get them in for Wednesday when I will answer your questions with 100 percent accuracy, guaranteed to change your life, possibly for the better. And... We have Knowles the Trolls here. King Troll, Michael Knowles will be here as our cultural correspondent. And this is his now his like part-time job that he just does. It's a hobby, really. He doesn't need the job anymore. The guy is so wealthy from publishing his book, his blank book. But they, but he does occasionally like to drop in because I buy the scotch. All right, so i thinking, he's, he's a cheap, he's cheap. I so said, what can I tell you? Uh, Thinking over the weekend, I was, I was watching this French election over the weekend and You know, I'm always hesitant to talk about other people's countries because I've lived in other people's countries. And one of the things I realized is that you don't know the country until you've lived in it for several years. And then you begin to detect all the subtle cultural connections and all this stuff. So you can't it's very hard to, you know, declaim on other people's country. But I do think this thing where what happened was the two main parties, which are basically a leftist party and a conservative party who have been governing since the war. Basically, they both lost. And Marine Le Pen has now set up this very conservative nationalist candidate is now set up to lose to macron who is a kind of they say a centrist which is hard to know what that means from far away and the reason i say she's going to lose everybody keeps saying well they said trump was going to lose and he won and that's true but she's something like 60 percent down in the polls and the elections are like in a week they're may 7th i guess so it's unlikely but it did show you that the just like here where a guy won as a Republican who's not really a Republican, Donald Trump, there's something going on. The old order is passing away. The order that has been in place since the war, since World War II, is passing away, and a new, you know, div- new divisions are being drawn, new lines are being drawn. They keep calling it globalism versus nationalism, but. I don't really think that's what it is. I think it's a class divide. I think it is a divide between elites who are looking at a world that is a nice place to live for people who work with their minds, people who work with words. Here, we have the First Amendment, so your words aren't going to get regulated, hopefully, if we can keep people like the people who run universities out of power. Uh, you know, so so things are good for us, you know. you know? Like, yeah, sure, you can have whatever kind of sex you want, but smart, educated people know eventually the best thing to do is get married, have your kids in wedlock. That's what they do. They go, they've gone back to church. They're having a great time. It's just the people they convinced to grab hold of the new, you know, kind of 1960s morality, all those people are wallowing and dying and unemployed, you know, and, they, and these people, people are being left behind. So it really is this class division. And, you know, there was a piece in City Journal where I am a, uh, you know, a contributing editor. City Journal is the Manhattan Institute's uh, magazine. And there was a piece a while back where a guy went out, a guy named Gregory Ferenstein went out and he took a poll of elites in Silicon Valley. And they, you know, you figure these guys are visionaries. They are the guys who see the future. And they said, what are are things going to be like? And here's what he wrote. He said, over the very long run, an increasingly greater share of economic wealth will be generated by a smaller slice of very talented or original people. Everyone else will increasingly subsist on some combination of part-time entrepreneurial gig work and government aid. Sounds great, doesn't it? <laughs> it's, like, it's like there's going to be six guys in Silicon Valley making a fortune and you're going to get government aid. So the way the Valley elite see it, everyone can try to be an entrepreneur. Some small percentage will achieve wild success and create enough wealth that others can live comfortably. Many tech leaders appear optimistic that this type of economy will provide the vast majority of people with unprecedented prosperity and leisure, though no one quite knows when. And I talked to this guy, Gregory, and he was saying, you know, it's going to be great. It'll all be Burning Man. You know, you sit around, you'll take drugs. You'll be so creative. You don't need a job. You'll get a a guaranteed government income because Bill Gates will be so rich. He'll be able to be taxed to give you a guaranteed income no matter what you do. And like I said to him, so where's the meaning of life? You know, where's your dignity as a person who creates something and who makes something, who supports a family? Where Where's your honor? Where's your sense of usefulness in the world? Oh, you know, you, know, you don't need that. So, this is, you know, so you wonder why people are dying of OxyContin addiction. This is why, because elites have left these people behind. And it's weird. It is weird for me personally, if I may add a personal note. I, I'm in a class war on the other side, you know. Because I'm an elite, you know, there's not, I'm a guy who works, I work with my mind, you know, I've done well with with what I do, you know, I've been a big mystery novelist and a screenwriter and it been a good life and all this stuff, you know, I'm, I'm on that side, I go to the opera, I drink white wine, I eat breeches, I do all that terrible stuff, <laughs> yeah, I know, get out, get out, but it's like, I can't, I... You cannot have a system that just leaves everybody else behind. So, you know, I was watching. Let's play Marine Le Pen. Here is Marine Le Pen. And and remember, her father was one of the great, you know, these guys, the right wing in Europe has a kind of fascist tinge to to it that the right wing in America does not have because we support the Constitution. And that keeps us from becoming bad guys. But her father was really uh, a very, he was anti-Semitic and he was, you know, hyper-nationalist. But she has kind of toned that down a little bit. But listen to her speech at getting into the runoff, so she won this level and now she has to go on and into a two-person runoff. And listen to what she says.
1: French people have to take on board that historical challenge because the challenge of that election is wild globalization which attacks our very civilization. It's a very simple choice for France. Either we carry on towards total deregulation without any border, any protection, with the consequences it entails, with international unfair competition, mass immigration, the free trade. Aid and the free circulation of terrorists or you choose the France with borders that are going to protect her uh, employment and a national identity, so you have two choices, and that's the real alternance, the real one, not the one when government merely changed without nothing serious ever changing. But I'm suggesting that we should aim for the real alternance, the fundamental alternance, which is going to put in place a new type of politics, new faces,
0: and a real renewal. You know, and when she's talking about the borders, you know, people on the intellectuals, elites on the right and left are saying, look at free trade, look how wealthy everybody gets from free trade. And yes, that's true. If you don't mind the fact that free trade means your job goes to Mexico or it goes to some other place where they can do it cheaper, and you're now out of work, and there's got to be some kind of solution to that. It's it's not going to be you know a guaranteed income and oxycontin. That's just not going to work for t- too many people. And the whole thing about ideas is ideas have to work. It's not enough for them to be good and noble and true. They also have to work. Nobody's going to sit around and celebrate liberty when his kid is starving. Nobody's going to sit around and you know uh, celebrate free speech if, if he can't uh, you know, feed his family. That's why the left is always saying, don't let a good crisis go to waste, because when the crisis hits, then that's when they can move in and get government power and destroy the Constitution and all the things the Democrats love to do. Listen to Trump. He sounds exactly like Le Pen. This is Trump's message for uh, the, you know, his weekend message. A new optimism is sweeping our country as we return power from Washington and give it back to the American people where it belongs. For too long, American workers were forgotten by their government, and I mean totally forgotten. Their interests were pushed aside for global projects, and their wealth was taken from their communities and shipped across the world, all across the seas. My administration has offered a new vision. The well-being of the American citizen and worker will be placed second to none. And boy, do I mean second to none. And you know, and people in the elites here—they say, "Oh, it's dark. It's dark." Yeah, because things are going great for them. You know, they're not sitting around wondering what they're going to do, or where the meaning of their life is coming from. And the borders—you know, this is a really tough one because I am a committed anti-racist. I believe racism is a sin against the image of God. I truly do. But I also believe that France is made of French people. America is not made of, you know, English people. America is made of anybody who will embrace the Constitution. It has been that way from the beginning. It has always been that way. That You can come here, and, you know, did they envision that the world would get as as vast and as many people would come to America as have come? I don't know whether they envisioned that or not, but the fact is that has always been true of America, that you can come here and become an American. It ain't true in France. It's never been true in England and Germany. There were always places that had a kind of blood and soil uh, nature. It just—it was just natural to them to do that. That's how the countries were formed. So when they, you know, when people say, "Well, let's open our borders and let anybody come in." There's a reason people get upset, you know? If you bring in Islamic people who think like, yeah, you know, Sharia law would be a better idea. You know, maybe that's not such a good thing. I mean, for me, it's all about the ideas, but I can understand why in France there's a racial element or at least a cultural element to it. I can understand why in England, I don't think there should ever be that element in America, but I can understand why European countries might, you know, embrace a little bit of blood and soil and get out of hand still. But this is the problem. See, this is the thing. This is the thing. When a realignment like this comes, when a realignment like this comes, it's dangerous doesn't mean it's wrong doesn't mean it won't result in good things it's dangerous and what is at risk is liberty that's what's at risk because both the the people let's call them and the elites are perfectly capable of destroying liberty you know nobody you know liberty is a tough thing it's always it's always a minority it's always supported by a minority there's always a minority who believes people should be free because people should be free means the guy who disagrees with you should also be free it's very easy to think you should be free the government the government just has to tell people to do what you're doing and then you're free that's what that's what most people believe there's a guy in the new york times writing today about how you know hate speech hate speech isn't free speech this is the new thing on the left hate speech isn't free speech yes it is hate speech is free speech because who decides who decides what's hate speech i you know if i decide that saying hate speech and free speech is hate speech. Can I silence you? You know, it's like, who decides? Nobody. It's just, you just have to let the ideas out there and let the best idea win. So we're watching this. And all I can say is that the elites are clueless to what's happening. And so we need the elites. The elites defend liberty when they get the chance, when they have the ideas. We need to defend certain ideas. You need elites to defend ideas, but they are Clueless. I mean, they've been talking about the 100 days. You know, the 100 days are coming up. I'm going to pause here and say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube, but stick with us at TheDailyWire.com because you will get Michael Knowles. And getting Michael Knowles is one of the great experiences of human life. I'm lying, but come on over to TheDailyWire.com. dailywire.com. <laughs> A country needs both its elites and its people. That's what it needs. A country, a nation, a culture needs both elites and its people. It needs elites to generate ideas. It needs people to live and support and build the things that need living, supporting and building. You know, the people who do most of the living and dying and making and, and doing, you know, we need those people and we need the elites to come up with the ideas that we need. The elites have been clueless because decadence works for them and things are going great for them. I just have to play, you know, they're talking about Trump's first hundred days. And has he succeeded? And obviously he made all these promises and the promises haven't come true yet. George Sokolopagus so- on uh, ABC has on Bill Cunningham, radio host Bill Cunningham, to ask him what's happening in real, in the real world. Basically, you know, and, and he says, you know, well, Trump hasn't done all the things that he's done. He promised this. He promised that. He promised. Where is he? And here's Cunningham res- Cunningham's response from real life.
2: For real people, it's about jobs, the economy, and immigration. Think about this. Since he took office, about $2.5 trillion have been put into the American economy through the stock market. The regulation cutback in one study had saving American businesses about $86 billion just in one year. With immigration, Ohioans, Monroe, Ohio has an MS 13 problem. Pike County, east of Cincinnati, has an MS 13 marijuana grow operation. If you cut down on illegal immigration, you cut cut down on gremlins and you cut down on heroin. 3,000 Ohioans are going to die this year from heroin overdoses. All of that's not coming from Tennessee, it's coming from Guadalajara. So everywhere I look, whether it's regulations, the stock market, energy, coal is going to come back, infrastructure, I see successes everywhere. And so when I listen to the coastal elites talk <laughs> about how Trump's doing this and Trump's doing that, I think about normal Americans like me, and I'm darn proud to have him as our president.
0: Hmm. You know, that's something- Something that George Sakalopagus has never heard before. And he then turns to his panel and says, let's talk to some intelligent people from New York. And that's what he says, from the coast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he does, I swear. <laughs> I'm sure he didn't mean it quite the way it came out. You know, all, all I can tell you is this 100 days thing, fine, you know, you need to, everybody needs a lead to write his article with. But if Trump passes a health care reform bill, and I'm not even talking about a repeal. I'm talking about something that reforms the health care system that Obama destroyed. And if he cuts the tax rate, He's going to be president for, like, ever. You know? <laughs> and, if the, and if the economy comes roaring back and he gets some American jobs going, he's going to be president for a long time. So all these guys are not paying attention to what's happening. They're not paying attention to this realignment. We're going to talk in the cultural segment, the final cultural segment of the show, we're going to talk a little bit about the problem of liberty and how liberty survives in a moment when people are so reactionary on both sides and are fighting so hard and are uh, so angry. Uh, can liberty survive that? We're going to talk a little bit about that, but first we have to turn to our... Our cultural correspondent Michael Knowles featured in one of the nastiest meanest most small-minded pieces in the New York Times I have ever seen they cannot give you a break just to bring people up to date okay Michael published a blank book called Reasons to Vote for Democrats right that's a very uh, intelligent uh, you know what what, what would, you, you, die what would you put what would you put in a book <laughs> called reasons for right, except nothing and it's been a bestseller. you've gotten a six-figure deal for a publishing deal you bet he won't barely will talk Rumored to us anymore on this show <laughs> (laughs) He barely talks to us anymore. He comes in like this five-minute segment. Um, But the New York Times has not, first, they won't put you on the bestseller list where you obviously belong. And second, they did an article. Tell people what the article was.
3: It is outrageous. We sold, in the first week of self-publishing this book, we sold 20 times what other uh, books on the New York Times bestseller list have sold. 20 times. They wouldn't give it to us. And then they find, this thing has been in international news. We've done interviews in, uh Italy and France and Germany uh, Russia. And, and the president tweeted about it? Yeah, the president of the United States endorsed the book on Twitter. <laughs> and uh, the New York Times is, has been silent, except for one opinion column, which was written by some Democrat sycophants uh, that named the book and said, this book is popular. They refused to name the author or discuss the uh, you know the circumstances around the book. And then they wrote up a bunch of lame other blank books that basically made fun of
0: Republicans. <laughs> that, like, you, well, know, you know, you think you're funny? Well, we can be <laughs> Funny, I'm funny now. I'm being funny right Nothing's now. Nothing's funnier than joke on joke. Nothing's funnier than that, right? These guys
3: are so they're so furious that the book did well, you know, and the Democrats are a laughing stock that they they can't handle it. The they're Democrats their minds. Are,
0: are swirling down the drain. It is, it's almost if I could pity them, I would pity them. Almost <laughs> right. All right, let's let's talk about Marvel Comics because this is this is an incredible story. I want to start if if I don't want to throw you off, but I want to start with the fact that Marvel has been suffering lately in sales is that fair? That, that is really fair. In spite so, of the fact that every other movie is a Marvel comic movie.
3: That's Yeah, I mean, you can't see anything else at the box office, but Marvel has been suffering for all of 2017. Uh, their numbers in February, almost half of their titles sold fewer than 20,000 copies. Ah. And to put that in co- context, titles could be canceled for selling. I mean, that okay. puts you in danger of being
0: canceled. So we're talking about, like, Iron Man is not selling?
3: That's and We're talking about huge titles, and the, the reason is that Marvel has decided that this year is the year of the social justice warrior, and they have been progressively uh, replacing characters with their black, gay, <laughs> really Muslim. Wait, re- ju- replacing yeah. characters. Yeah, well, they'll have a new person be you know the Spider-Man character. So, for instance, Thor is now a woman. Uh, Spider-Man is is both black and Hispanic. They had to get they had to get both in there. <laughs> uh, Captain America's is black, and Iron Man is is a black woman, and they have sort of different names. You, you, you know, but, keep,
0: wait, wait. So, Peter Parker, Spider-Man is not Peter Parker anymore.
3: That's right. Uh, Spider-Man now is a, a Miles. Uh, Morales and uh, Iron Heart, or Iron Man, is Riri Williams. And they've just decided, you know, leave it to these guys to go a little on the nose. They couldn't slip in one at a time. It's this <laughs> barrage of uh, progressivism. And as a result, their sales have have plummeted.
0: Yeah, I think we gotta get the guy who came up with this idea and give him a raise, right? Like
3: <laughs> well, it, it is amazing, because they, Marvel has had to answer for this. And the VP of sales, David Gabriel, first said, quote, he, he obviously is blaming the consumers. He says, what we heard was that people didn't want any more diversity. Oh, that was nasty. They didn't people. want it. That's what we heard. Whether we believe that or not, I don't know that that's really true. That's what we <laughs> saw. Any character that was diverse, people were turning their noses up at. Uh, he then implicitly blamed DC's lower prices for the, the sales drop. Yeah. He, he, he then later, though, had to correct himself. He said, let me be clear. Our new heroes are not going anywhere. Stores are proud and excited to keep these unique characters, and uh, we're,
0: we're hearing both sides. Is this the, the same guy? Yeah, the same guy. Yeah. I love it. It's really yeah. quite a shift. Uh, so, all right. So, that, I mean, it's clownish because people would accept new characters or sidekicks or whatever sure, coming of in, you know. But why does why do they have to take away all our beloved characters? And meanwhile, the films. Are scoring big with the old characters, right? That's right. I mean, yeah. they're
3: they're the only movies that anyone goes to see anymore. Unbelievable. And uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's clearly this this lack of creativity and lack of originality that's coming out of, out of all of this, out of Hollywood and out of out of Marvel. And so they they are not, you know. Creating the new black and Hispanic character as much as they're replacing these Did, old guys. Didn't with not they
0: also have like one guy who was putting in like little Muslim messages in the? Uh...
3: This is amazing, and I actually I have to thank the writer Jacob Airy for this. Yes, he, Jacob, he,
0: that's where I read it. Jacob put, he, put it he, on this site. Yeah, he
3: put it. It's this amazing piece on conservative news. It's the most thorough uh, piece uh, about this topic. But we have here, and I have to be very careful with this. This, this is, is Jacob. Yeah.
0: actually Jacob's copy. Yeah. yeah, this is
3: worth more than my book advance probably. <laughs> but, you know, this is. Uh, X-Men Gold, issue 001. Okay. And uh, it was uh, done by an artist named Ardian Syaf. And if you turn to page 12, that's where the trouble begins. Uh, right here we have a character. Uh, the character's name is Kitty Pride. Okay. Kitty is Jewish. Now, what's really incredible, I don't know if you can see this, uh, there's the, a jewelry store right behind Kitty. Now the only letters that are not obstructed by pieces of hair or other letters J E W the be global me. financial elite or you know I, don't, I forget all those terms <laughs> the all right was using but yes Jew is the word right behind this Jewish character seems coincidental then if you look uh, further down in the frame or I'm sorry on the right over here you'll see that the words we support our troops but one of the bystanders heads is blocking the word support. So that that is obviously more subtle than writing Jew right behind the character's head. <laughs> okay, what is, the,
0: what is the 212?
3: I see this thing, 212. So the number 212, very prominent number, and no one really knew what it meant uh, going into it. Uh, the, the artist is an Indonesian Muslim. The number 212 refers to December 2nd, 2016, when the uh, Jakarta governor, Bazuki, Shahaja Purnama, uh, who's one of the only Christian politicians in the country, was protested for perceived blasphemy against Islam. And by the way, the perceived blasphemy was simply to say that uh, Indonesian Muslims should elect a Christian politician, oh, and not, okay. not only a Muslim politician. Yeah. Uh, that's that's what that number refers to. Um, and uh, that, that one seems a little esoteric, but I think the, the other examples will highlight it. Uh, you'll see on uh, the character's shirt right here, uh, a L M. Uh, that seems a little out of place. It stands for Alpha Lambda Mu, also better known as Alif Lim Meme, and that was the first Muslim fraternity okay. uh, founded in the United States a few years ago. Okay, uh, and, and then the, the part where we really can't ignore this anymore is on this character, Colossus, on the shirt. The the letters QS and then 551. Uh-oh. QS 551. Now, <laughs>
0: yeah. I... I guess what this is, yeah.
3: I've read a certain holy book. Yeah. <laughs> I remember reading it a few years ago. QS stands for Quran Surah 551. And that verse is is... is O you who, who have believed, do not take the Jews and Christians as allies. And furthermore, there's an Indonesian translation of the Quran, which says Muslims
0: should not appoint the Jews and Christians as their leader. Wow! Which wow! So, so, so the message all put together is, you know, Jews and Christian. This, this is mourning the elevation of a non-Muslim leader to Indonesia. That's
3: right, and okay. it's it's clearly supporting the protests so, uh,
0: against this. Leader. So, ultimately, obviously, this got caught because Jacob caught it. So, the the real question is, how did this get published? <laughs> well,
3: <yeah. laughs> I mean, this, I, I'm no expert on comic books. Obviously, yeah. I had to read Jacob's article to really understand right. this right. this world. Uh, doesn't take a genius to to notice these glaring symbols Q S Jew you know <laughs> not not the least among them. Um. So so this guy gets fired. He did get fired. He did finally get fired. He posted on Facebook and he admitted to all of it. He copped to all. Oh, of it. he, he did. said yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, quote. My career is over now. It's a consequence of what I did and I take it. Please no more mockery debate. No more hate. No more hate.
0: Wait a second. <laughs> no, no wait. wait. Who's well, telling? That's, a, me? that's always the the Islamist way. There's no <laughs> yeah. more hate except our hate. No more know. hate. Wait. I'm reading this whole book about <laughs> it.
3: Uh, And uh, So anyway, so he's out of here now. Uh, But the real question is, how did this get through? I mean, how did did someone not catch this before? And what is the environment at Marvel that is allowing this kind of drivel?
0: You know, Marvel had had always had a history, not among the creatives, but among the owners, always had a a history of being kind of, you know, conservative, pro-American, good guys. I mean, what the hell?
3: I mean, they have, you know, one of their titles is Captain America. Captain America. (laughs) That is red, white, and blue as you get. You
0: know, these guys, the, the left ruins everything and the way they do it is they can't create their own stuff so they enter into stuff that has become popular through its patriotism and through its conservatism. They enter into it, they eat it out from within, they wear it like a mask and it just becomes this dead zombie of leftism that looks like Captain America. You're talking and about the Obama era <laughs> of the United States, right? Yeah, they that was the whole country. Is, that's you know? right, yeah, But I mean, whether it's Yale, you know, where, that's right. where some of us went, uh, one of us <laughs> went, uh, you know, whether it's Yale, they, they, they take it over and they say it's still Yale, but it's not. It's just leftism. And this was like Marv, happening to Marvel Comics.
3: That's right. It's this grotesque zombie that's yeah. still kind of plodding along. So
0: now everybody in this office is ticked off at me because I let you do this segment instead of letting them do the segment because everybody here is a big comic book fan. And I have kind of, I used to be a comic book fan. I, they've kind of just run out for me at some level. Yeah. I, is it just on another topic before I let you go, it, do you feel that there's something wrong with a society that it just keeps pushing out this comic universe?
3: Yeah, you know, I, they're upset with me, all of the fans who are the <laughs> yeah. comic book fans in the office, because I'm doing it. But they're going to be more upset with me now for the answer to this question. Uh, if there is something uh, really troubling that... The biggest movies, the only movies that anybody goes to see in the country are these superhero fantasy comic book movies. And the issue is that it's infantilizing. It's infantilizing to the culture and it's infantilizing to the people who consume it and and to the viewers of these movies. I think there is no coincidence that over the last decade, we've been seeing a lot of troubling statistics coming out from my dear millennial generation. You know, a third of Americans, 25 to 34, live at home. Uh, More than half of all Americans, not just millennials, all Americans think marrying and having children are not important to becoming an adult. Half half of the country. This is according to Pew Pew Research Center. Uh, People are obviously marrying much later, and uh, almost 13% of millennials are unemployed. Uh. Almost thirteen uh, percent of people in the prime of their life are are not working. This is your
0: fault, guys. This is your for going to these movies. It's your.
3: That's right. And I and I always tell people when I speak to young people, I always say, what you have to do is just sit down and not do any work, and then get a best selling book out of it. You know, I mean,
0: that's, that's <laughs> you're that's a rich. You're coming. an example <laughs> to us all. Yeah. I know.
3: <laughs> that's right. But I I do think there is something a little worrying about that. One of the the guy who wrote uh, Captain America: The Winter Soldier, Stephen McFeely, uh, writes that uh, the reason they're popular now is it's the New version of cowboy, cowboy westerns. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, the new, yeah, it's the no, new. It's the and
0: that's the argument Logan makes. It's a, It's a, and Logan is a terrific movie. That that's makes right.
3: The and, and there are uh, look Logan, uh, The Dark Knight. I mean, there are there are standout examples of real serious movies that are not infantilizing. Right. But there is also a difference between a western and a fantasy. You know, there there is a difference between John Ford taking on a certain view of American reality mm-hmm. and uh, superheroes flying around. It does. I mean, just, vagaries, just the, the very
0: know. the very fact that. They don't have to deal with the problems that we have. Like, in other words, you can have a monster come, come at a guy, you know, the Green Goblin or something, and you never have to address, like, Islamism. You never have to address right. the real problems that confront us. You know, I'm all for mythology, and I think comic books have become a kind of American mythology, and I'm, I'm, I'm not opposed to that. It just seems that when that's all you do, when that's the only kind of drama you enjoy, that you never get to deal with the real problems of life, like getting married, like, uh, you know, fighting yeah. Islamism, like, you know, how are you going to be tolerant of different people and yet accept that some philosophies are just unacceptable. You know, how are you going to let people speak while opposing them? You know, all you that know, stuff. Yeah. D-
3: during the Cold War, the the main movie franchise that took on good yeah. versus evil is James Bond. James Bond, and yeah. James Bond fought the Ruskies. You That's know? Right. he fought That's right. the communists. Absolutely. And uh, we we just don't see that in our movies anymore because as a culture, we're uh, we're cowards in the face of reality. Yeah. In, in our yeah. in at least in our in our cultural uh, offerings.
0: I think it's true. Thank you, Michael Knowles, chief troll and cultural correspondent. Uh, <laughs> of the Daily Wire. Um, you know, just to end on this cultural note, to end by, by talking about this, because we're talking about this realignment where the elites have now been shown to have failed the people. The elites and the people are at odds. And I find myself as as a person who moves and walks among people who you would call elites, among coastal people. My friends are artists, they're weird, weirdos, they're eccentrics, they're intellectuals, all that stuff. I find myself feeling like they have failed the people. They have failed to come up with the ideas that we need. Moving into this hyper-technological age that are going to give people employment and meaning. And I think that stuff is going to come around. I do not believe in this vision of a robot, a world where robots build robots build robots, because I don't think you know I don't think that's going to stand. I don't think people will stand for it. I think we'll come up with just like as we did in the last machine age. We will come up with new employments. You know all those uh, the Luddites who went around destroying the machines because they were destroying work during the industrial revolution they didn't envision that with all the leisure that was created by the new machines people would do new stuff they would do new stuff and there would be new jobs to have and there would be assembly line jobs and there would be construction jobs that didn't exist before because technology tends to create new businesses and as we go through this realignment which is a dangerous moment i mean there's a moment when people are carried away by passions it's a moment when one person says black so the other person says white without even thinking about it it's a the moment when freedom is in danger and the problem with freedom the problem with freedom is that it, it can't just be it can't just be licensed as they used to say it has to be ordered by virtue this is a tough thing to talk about you know during this March for Science, this guy, what's his name, Bill Nye, is yeah. the science guy, he's got a new show. This guy, every time he opens his mouth, like the world just becomes a little bit dumber, you know? So he's on, Bill Nye has got a new show on Netflix, and he's introducing this show. And there's this lady who writes uh, music for a show called My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Now, I've watched five to ten minutes of the show, and it was it was really, it was like having nails driven into my eyes you know I was like thinking. I was actually trying to decide do I want to keep watching this or drive nails through my eyes it's kind of hard hard to choose but that's because it's a hyper girly show I mean I, I I can't imagine a woman thinking it is about this clingy woman who can't get over her boyfriend she ruins her life to go find support and it's a musical she writes this musical every day so here's Bill Nye and what's the name of the show Bill Nye Saves the World as if okay so here's Bill Nye and listen this is a little bit uh, a little bit racy but Bill Nye introduces her and she comes on and sings a song and the song is about how we've got to get rid of this idea that there are just men and women and you know we have to realize there are a million genders and we all have to be free let take a listen to just a little bit of this
2: so you guys seriously this next thing I feel is very special this is a cool little segment uh, you know this woman from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Please give it up for Rachel Bloom. This one goes out to all my to identify as Ladies. Ladies.
1: This world of ours is full of choice. But must I choose between only John or Joyce? All my options only harder voice. my vagina
2: has its own voice, not vocal cords, a metaphorical voice. <laughs> Sometimes I do a voice for my vagina. Please don't tell me I'm the only one who does that.
0: Man, oh man, I mean, like, so this is the vision that they're showing, you know. I want to show you something. I was, when I was in England, I was in Ox, at Oxford and I went to the Ashmolean Museum, which is a fantastic, it's like this little museum, just packed with great stuff. And I saw this painting, uh, which has been done before by other artists, but this is called The Choice of Hercules by Paolo de Mateus, uh from the 18th century, 17th to 18th century. And if you're watching, you can see it, but I will describe it to you. It's uh, It's Hercules caught between two women and one of them is Virtue and virtue was pointing up a long, steep, rocky climb. And explaining it that, that you know virtue is its own reward, but it's tough. And the other is pleasure, and she's just beautiful and seductive. I think the little card in the museum said, uh, "Beauty's argument is evidence. A pleasure's argument is evident." You know, because she's this hot dame with her shirt falling off and all this stuff. And Hercules is looking at virtue, going like, hey, "Wait, explain this to me about the hard work." You know, like, "Are you kidding me?" You know. And I think that the thing is, you cannot be free without virtue. You know, people people yell at me continually because I refuse to set hard and fast rules about what I think your sexual life, your sexual life should be. Doesn't mean I don't have hard and fast rules about what I think my sexual life should be, but I refuse to set hard and fast rules about what other people's sexual life should be. But what I can tell you is true, is that you have... Two choices, you can live as if your flesh were your life, or you can live as if your flesh is the language in which God is speaking the idea of your soul, that your flesh is simply, it's not its not a little container with Casper the ghost inside, you know, that Casper the ghost flies off to heaven. It is an expression of something else that is elsewhere, that is held within the mind of God. If you live as if your flesh were, you know, as if your voice were coming out of your vagina or your penis or anything like that, if you live as if that is your reality, You're not going to have a happy life. You are going to have a crap life, a second-rate life, a second-rate life. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how many women you get. I don't care how many men, you know, how powerful you become. It's going to be a second-rate life. If you live as if you were a soul, if you live as if your body were simply expressing your soul, even when tough things happen to you, you're going to have a joyful life. If you live like that, you can be free. If you live like that, if enough people live with at least that idea in mind, they can be free. But if people live like that lady saying lives, they can't be free. You know, and it's just it's it's physical reality. You're going to get diseases. You're going to have children out of wedlock that the government has to take care of. You're constantly going to be going. Why don't you take care of me? It's going to you're going to be like the kid who wants to drive the family car, but then wants dad to pay for it after you wreck it. You know, and when you start to take other people's money, they are less free, and you become less free, and every. Everyone is less free. Freedom requires virtue. So in this realignment, in this realignment, we're going to have to be, you know, there's going to have to be these annoying people like me, (laughs) that can be pretty (laughs) annoying, you know, discussing what the meaning of virtue is, where you find it, how you find it, and what the ideas that are built on. You know, Edmund Burke talks about this a lot. Every good thing you have comes from a tradition and a series of ideas and the people who are trying to destroy that tradition and that series of ideas think that you will still have the good things when they're gone that ain't true you're standing on the top of a tower and you pull out the bottom jenga block and it all comes tumbling down and so you know as this thing gets realigned i understand why there has to be a realignment i understand things come to an end things have to change you know freedom Liberty is the thing we're going to have to be talking about, and it's not just liberty. It's liberty with virtue. Stuff I like, celebrating uh, France as they go into the <laughs> whatever happens next. This is actually a Dutch film, but it was made uh, by the Dutch and the French. Has anybody seen The Vanishing? Uh, yeah. uh, amazing, amazing. <laughs> the Vanishing is a picture from 1988 old picture and I I wanted to show the picture of this woman Joanna Der Stieg I don't know how to pronounce it but she's a, a Dutch actress for some reason the Europeans have this way of making movies with women who are uncannily beautiful but look like real people we don't have that. You know, our, our actresses are unkindly beautiful, but you don't see them anywhere outside of L.A. And the minute you see one walking down the street, you know she's an actress. Like, here's a woman who could be anything. You know, she might, she might be a homemaker. She might be, you know, working in another business. But she's so fantastically beautiful. Anyway, the story is based on a... Tim Crabbe novel. He is very pop- I met him a long time ago in Amsterdam, and uh, it was really interesting because he just writes in Dutch, so nobody really knows him. But in Amsterdam, he's a star. In Amsterdam, he's a big deal. And of course, the Dutch feel that they're the center of the universe, so that's, that's fine with him. Uh, but a really good novel that he wrote, and it's t- uh, turned into The Vanishing, or it's, it was called in French, The Man Who Wanted to Know. And it's about a guy and his girlfriend, and one day... She just disappears at a gas station. He's traveling, and she just disappears. And he becomes obsessed with finding out what happened to her. The novel's great. The movie's great. Do not watch the American film. When they were making the American film, they called me in and asked me if I wanted to write it. And I said, well, I'd be, ha- I'd be delighted to make an American version of this, but I have this terrible fear you're going to do X, Y, and Z, which would ruin the movie. They, no! Oh no, we would never, never do X, Y, and Z. Seriously, I'm sitting there with the guy who's going to make the movie. Never do it. It's exactly what they did. They ruined it. The American version is awful. The Dutch version, The Vanishing, uh, is just it's just a terrific thriller and uh, really worth watching. And this woman is unbelievably beautiful. All right. Remember the mailbag. I'm going to be gone tomorrow, back Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So get your questions in now. I will answer them on Wednesday. Your life will be changed. Your problems will be over. I'm Andrew Clavin. <laughs> this is The Andrew Clavin Show.